have a question. Um, have you ever got the instructions right and got the order you do them in wrong? DIY might come to mind. Cooking, a, I don't know if you ever made a sauce and not made the roux. Um, my first ever student meal, my mum bought me a slow cooker. How hard can it be? We're a slow cooker. I named my slow cooker mum because I'd come in and dinner would be ready. Um, that I had these high hopes. I had such high hopes. And, um, uh, and I thought my first meal needs to really cut it. So I thought I would do a beef and ale pie. How cool is that? Ale was quite expensive, but Guinness was really cheap. So I compromised a little and went for beef and Guinness pie. Making a pie is hard. <laughs> but pasta's easy. So I thought I'll go for beef and Guinness pasta. So I, I, I put the beef in and um, poured the Guinness all over it and then just thought, what, what, what do you do with pasta? And I just put it in the slow cooker and went to college. And came home that evening and told everyone about my, the meal I was cooking. And I actually had lied and told them it was beef and ale pie. Um, uh, and people were coming around. And when I go in and I lifted the lid off this thing, um, the pasta hadn't done really what I expected it to do. Um, there was just this congealed something there. Uh, I just, and uh, you didn't have to break it, but the spoon did need to be pushed through it slightly. Um, and it was probably the worst thing I have ever seen and put in my mouth in my <laughs> life. I think I'd rather eat mud. It, it was awful. And um, I really, you know, the instructions, cooking, all fine, but I got it all wrong. And, um, and I would have been ashamed to serve that to anyone, really. Um, so uh, we went, I went out for food and I blew the first bit of my student loan, really, on buying people food because I felt bad. And... I sometimes think when I have done evangelism, it probably could have been as unpalatable as that meal I was going to serve people. This sort of, I felt awkward showing it to them. They weren't going to eat it. And sometimes when I've wanted to share my faith, it's had the same kind of effect. I felt awkward. I've not wanted them to know, and they've known I've not wanted them to know. Um, so I wanted to share a little bit more how I think Jesus did it. Because I obviously, were, though I got the instructions right, follow Jesus, you know, share the gospel, I'd sort of done it in the wrong order, and I'd just sort of hashed everything together. So, let me find what I'm up to on my notes. Can we do the next slide? If you have Bibles, I'm going to look at Mark 1, 14 to 17. So this is Jesus beginning to gather his team. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He needs a team, and so he walks out, and he models what he wants them to do, how to be, what this new life, this kingdom is going to be. And Jesus, and the Bible says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, and he proclaimed the good news of God. And this is what he said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Come and follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When I have done 
sharing my faith. I've done so many things. But Jesus did some very simple things. He walked into a town and um, he announced there was good news. Romans did it all the time. They would invade and they would say, we've got good news for you. There is a new king and he will make your life easier. It may be painful to start off with, but he will make your life easier. That was announcing the good news. That's what they did. And so Jesus copies them. He's a bit cheeky, sly smile. And he says, I have good news. The kingdom of God is here. And when an eternal being sort of has a sigh in his breath and he says, it's finally here, um, you can imagine the, the waiting of heaven, the waiting of eternity, the waiting of the angels for this moment when God's kingdom is just about to start. It's all been about this moment and Jesus is just about to start it. So he says, finally, the time has come. The kingdom of God is here. And he starts to call people to it. He starts to call them to a new way of life, a whole different way of doing life, a whole new way of being. And so he calls people and he says, repent. Repent, you've probably heard, is an old army term. You'd march one way. And they would say, repent, and you would turn around and go the other way. So repent isn't taking our, our sins um, and saying we're not going to do them anymore. Repent is a complete turning, a reorientation of direction. Everything, everything that is in our petty small kingdom, everything that we hold dear, everything that we value, everything that we have ever hoped for, and saying I'm not going to march that way anymore. I'm going to go this way. And whatever is posed in this way, I'm going to go for that. Whatever Jesus teaches me about his kingdom, I'm going to go for that. I am literally going to turn around and reorientate the whole of my life and everything to do with my life around this thing. That's what Jesus called people to. And then and then he, he said that to do that, you need to believe, repent and believe. Um, you are all exhibiting a huge amount of belief in this room by sitting down. None of you are showing any trepidation or fear that your chair will collapse on you. I've seen what students have done to those chairs. I have a little less belief. Um, but you have belief in your chairs. You're putting your complete weight and trust in that thing that's under you. Uh, Tim, do you, can you help me for a minute? Is that right? I've got a bit of a bad back. Let's hope this works. So Tim is going to demonstrate belief for you. So I'd like you to stand there, and I'd like you just to show some belief. Turn around and show some belief by leaning into my hands. Okay? This is what belief is, is putting your complete weight and trust in something else. That's what belief is. Imagine if I wasn't here. How would that look? Look at the angle he would be living at. This is what Christian belief looks like to the rest of the world. I haven't got the strength to take him much lower. <laughs> keep going, keep going. But, keep going. If I took him lower, some of you, your belief looks like that. Some of you looks a little bit more upright. But belief is leaning in something invisible, knowing and trusting that it will take your weight in whatever you are doing. That's belief. Jesus said, repent, turn your life around, reorientate yourself around him, and then lean into him with everything. And I imagine when Jesus said belief, this is just my imagination, but it was that deep exhale of <sighs> believe, 
when you finally can trust something else rather than yourself, knowing that that thing will carry you. That deep exhale of, I don't need to do this on my own. I don't need to make this work for myself anymore. There is something bigger, better, and more wonderful than me that will carry me through everything, and I know it will work for good in my life. That's the belief Jesus preached. And when your friends, your colleagues, when your family look on at you living at this angle, because remember, they can't see me, they look on with wonder and they begin to see the good news of the gospel. They see the fruit of it in your life as you are leaning into something that is far more sturdy than anything they could engineer themselves. That's what Jesus taught. That's what he called the disciples to, to come and follow him, to rear and take their life and to believe. So, thank you, Tim. Um, so that was the calling. That, I think, is, is, is the gospel, really, isn't it? That, to, to bring everything that is in your kingdom, in your world, and bring it before Jesus and see what he will do with it, and to trust that he will do it better than you. And people stand on and watch in wonder. And so, so Mark 1 says that, that he called the disciples, and he said, come and follow me. I will make you fishers of men. In essence, come and do what you do, but do it for me. Which is, I think, what Steph is calling for, really. Is come and do what you do, come and do it in school. But come and do what you do, and do it for me. So the call isn't to, for us to actually cease to be ourselves in all the talents and the strengths and the giftedness he gave us. The call is to bring the, all that is in our kingdom, our world, to bear in, for his glory. Amen. Come and do what you do, but do it for me. And so these fishermen did exactly that. They repented of thinking they could look after their lives and run their lives simply by fishing and trying to be happy. They turned around and they began to follow him. They believed, they lent into him. And we read in the Gospels the stories of these guys' lives, of they lived at impossible angles. And we leave in the Acts of the Apostles of how they leaned even further and were inspired by them. So, if we turn now to Mark 3, I, I, I want to see what he did, what he taught them. Because I think, here's the instructions that I get so wrong so often. Mark 3, 14 and 15. And he appointed 12 and designated them apostles that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and that they may have authority to drive out demons. So it's, it's fairly, fairly simple, the instructions that he gives these 12 repenting, believing guys that they should be with him, that they should preach the kingdom. When he says preach, Jesus only really preached one thing the kingdom. Just talked about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. All his stories are about the kingdom, the kingdom, a world when he is king, when he is in charge, and he gave them authority to, um, to oppose evil, to cast out demons. And so, to be with him, they had a bit of a fortunate advantage over us, um, that they could be with him physically. 
but we have an advantage over them that when we are quiet before God, then um, uh, we are aware of him. The Holy Spirit is within us. So they could be with him, but he is within us. To preach the kingdom, I, I don't know in, in 30 minutes how on earth to, to give you the detail of it, um, but imagine a world where God is in charge. The kingdom is where the king gets what he wants. And really, it's everything that is our world, everything that is our lives, everything that we value. They're all our kingdoms. We have a kingdom at work. We have a kingdom at home. We have um, a, a kingdom in our car, which some of us are very bad at submitting that kingdom to anything else. Um, we have our kingdoms, and it's to take our kingdoms and bring them under his kingdom. The kingdom is there is a king who has a better way, and we should bring our kingdoms into his and see what he will do. And um, uh, to oppose evil, I, I, to, to, to um, cast out demons, I haven't got time to talk on. And I know that um, some of your leadership team have had some great training on this, so I'm not actually going to go into too much detail on that. So I just want to focus on the first ones. So if we do the next slide and the one after now, I, I want to tell you one thing that God is teaching me as I am with him. So when my time when I'm with him, when I, when I be with him, that's what he called the disciples to. He's really been talking to me about this equation. Um, is it's what most of the world is like. This is what orientates most of your colleagues, most of your peers, definitely most of the schools I'm in. Um, our worth is equal to our performance plus others' opinions. I put it up in an assembly recently, and the teachers sat there nodding at it. That's not the kingdom in any way. That's not the gospel in any way. But it's the world we live in. That's what we've adopted. Our worth is equal to um, how well we perform in anything, how good we are at maths, how good we are at work, how good we are as a dad, plus what others think of us doing that. You and I don't live under that. When we repented, we repented of this statement. God's been talking to me about this, I should never treat anyone like their worth is based on their performance and what others think about them. Because actually someone is worth what you will pay for them. And Jesus Christ, the thing he paid for me and you and the people we work with and the people I teach, the price he paid was with his life. And so how valuable are we how valuable are they? And so Jesus has been addressing me with that. And it's funny because you'd think a gospel presentation in a school should be repent and believe. Repent of your sins and believe. But actually, what about repenting of believing this? And so I called uh, um, 600 kids to repent of it the other day. Didn't use the word repent. But I said, this is not true. If you believe this is not true, you do not understand what it is to, to be part of something where we've had Christian values. You do not know what it means to understand that Jesus died for you because your worth isn't based on how well you do and what everyone's saying about you on Twitter. Your worth is the fact that someone looked at you and looked at how despicable we are in all the things we do to be happy and said, I'll die for you anyway because you are worth it, because I love you. And so I think 
What if gospel sharing isn't just telling people, actually, we are despicable, but also telling people that God loves you and this is how much he loves you? And equations like this that are rooted in our culture, in our way of doing business and everything else, actually, we repent from. We call people to. And we live in, we believe in something else that I am deeply valuable to God. Um, So, we're meant to be with Jesus. That's the first instruction, really. Be with him. Be with him. He will teach you things. And out of the overflow of our heart, it goes into our conversations in the way we do life, into our kingdoms. The next one he talks about is to preach the kingdom. And the way I understand kingdom, there is God's kingship. Taking your kingdoms, your worlds, the things you have influence over, and putting them under his his kingship, bringing them into his kingship. But if you just simply do that, then we become quite moralistic and, um, uh, and we work hard to get everything into his kingship. And the gospel, the kingdom of God, is more than just his kingship. And the gospel and the, is more than just taking our influence on this physical world and improving it, social action, justice, Vineyard has its feed project that we get food for. It is more than just those things. A physical kingdom. God's kingdom isn't just a kingship. It's not just a place. In fact, what I've written up there is that actually the kingdom of God is a sphere of influence. It's where God's people are living under his kingship rule. That wherever we are, actually his kingdom has a chance to break out. You see... Jesus, through us being with him, is able to take hold of now with one hand and eternity and his kingdom in all its fullness in the other. And when we talk to him, when we pray, and when we ask him to do someone, he is able to begin to bring the two together. So when you pray, your kingdom come now, here on earth as in heaven, we're saying, Jesus, take hold of now, take hold of then, I'm here, can I do anything, would you work? And Jesus brings the two together. That's what that prayer literally means. Would you break out in my life? I, um, I was at a conference a while ago, um, and um, there were a lot of youth workers um, having coffee in this ice cream parlour. And um, uh, there was a woman in the corner who um, uh, had her tarot cards and her table, and she was looking very, very uncomfortable. And all the youth workers, all Christian youth workers, were all looking at her and talking to each other and looking at her. And, um, uh, and I really felt for her because it was an uncomfortable environment. And um, on the way back from the loo, I went and sat down to, with her and I said, how's it going? And, um, uh, and she said, uh, business isn't very good today and there's a really bad atmosphere in here. There's a really bad vibe. And, uh, and I was like, I know, they're all looking at you, aren't they? And she went, yeah. And I said, it's because the, there's, a, there's a Christian youth work conference on and everyone's sitting in this room talking about what you're doing. Um, uh, and she was like, my goodness. And then she went, I used to go to church, you know. And uh, I was like, really? And she told me her story, and she told me that she hadn't found any power in the church, so she was looking somewhere else. Um, so I sat, and my friend um, came over and joined us in the end, and we just told a story and story about the kingdoms of God, the kingdom of God breaking out, and that actually she just was doing her own thing because she hadn't been looking for his power. She didn't actually expect to find any power in the church. But the kingdom of God is actually full of power if we will but look for it, we'll search for it. You know, uh, Jesus says, seek me, seek me. So 
I wonder what it looks like to seek Jesus in your kingdoms, in your places. What is he doing? I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, and the last one is to, um, uh, is to cast out demons, which I said I wouldn't do much on. But actually part of that is just opposing the evil. And that looks quite interesting in some ways. I was really moved recently. A guy came and valued my house. Um, and he walked into my house and he wa- wa- walked around it. I'd made him, I, I, I'd re- well, I'd got him a muffin and I'd got him coffee. And I thought, if I can but convince him I'm a nice guy, we will get more for our house. He didn't want to engage with me in any way. Like, he was rude. You know, he, and I said, shall I walk around with you, Sheriff? He goes, no, you do what you do. I'm just going to look around your house. And uh, he was rude. Just rude to me. Every attempt I meant to corrupt him and <laughs> get him to like me so we would get more money for our house, he did not budge on. And at the end of the six or seven minutes he was in my house, he got to the door and he stood there and he made the first bit of eye contact with me. And he looked me in the eye and he said, you have a lovely house. May God bless this house. And left. And um, I just stood there. And I thought, I wonder if he does that in every single house. And it got me thinking, you know, he resisted me trying to corrupt him. You know, and uh, he, he resisted anything that would be not right. And his witness was just incredible this valuer of a house, and he left my house with a blessing on it. So driving out demons, opposing evil, is opposing evil in every form in your sphere of influence. That's what the kingdom is. That's what Jesus equipped the disciples to to do in a far more spiritual way, but I haven't got time to do that. But we all are in the business of opposing evil, even if it's someone just trying to corrupt you to give them more money for their house. (laughs) But he left my house with a blessing. Um, we're on to the text I was going to teach on now. <laughs> so if we move, move on to the next text. Um, so it's Matthew 9, 35. Just, um, uh, I really wanted to share this text with you. Um, just thinking about what did I want to tell you. Um, let me read it and talk through it. And then I'll finish. So... Jesus went through the towns and the villages, teaching in their singles, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. He's doing what I've just talked about. He's just doing it, and the disciples are standing there watching. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were helpless and harassed. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus is doing his thing. He's modeling it. The disciples are being with him. And then he sees the crowds that are helpless and harassed. And something changed in the way he's going to do stuff. So um, one of the girls that's here, if we put the next slide up, um, uh, when, uh, when we work her, this girl's name's Louise. And um, when, when I first met her, she struck that helpless and harassed thing. She's in your cafeteria. And um, uh, I just was drawn to her. And uh, I said, you look a bit down, what's wrong? And we chatted about life. And she was helpless and harassed. Um, she's really worried about uh, her pension. I know that sounds weird, but she's worried about money. Really worried about money. And she can't trust how money is done anymore. The, the banking crisis, all those kind of things. Something that we have sold our next generation of consumerism 
isn't working. And she's feeling it. She's 18, and she's feeling what's going to happen with this. Am I going to get a job? What, what's happening on the whole finance side of things? Is my life going to be okay? Um, in terms of um, authority figures that would represent her and look after her, keep her safe, um, be for her good, she knows they're just crooks. And she said, I just don't feel like there is anything that is in place for me to look after me in this life. But So the authority figures that are for our good, she's feeling helpless and harassed. And then she's, uh, she's not from a Christian family, and she was telling me she went and had dinner with some um, Catholics recently, and the mum and dad have split up, and a new boyfriend has moved in, and they made her hold hands over dinner um, and, um, and pray grace. And uh, she said, I don't pray. Um, and they'd ignored her and made her pray anyway. And I said, well, what, what, what were you doing then? Did, were you just talking to the ceiling? And she was like, I don't know, but I'm not happy about it. And um, uh, she was sitting in your coffee shop just talking, and um, we, we chatted about it. And the exercise she did after, she put on some headphones and she's got some stones. And um, she's listening to the story of the wise and the foolish builder. Um, and we had a talk after that about what does she want to build her life on? Does she want to build it on the equation of her worth is equal, her performance plus others' opinions? Or is there something slightly more solid for her to build her life on? So, so Jesus walked into a town and saw a whole load of Louises. And he sees they are helpless and harassed, like sheep without a shepherd, which is a reference to the Old Testament. Whenever the Jewish nation went off kilter, they'd talk about the, the, the Jewish nation and say when the king wasn't doing his job, when he was leading them astray, he would say they were sheep without a shepherd. When the king failed, they were sheep without a shepherd. So when Louise's kingdom is failing around her, her own world isn't working, she needs a new king. When things in work and all the rest of it around us isn't working, maybe the king, the king that we put above our businesses is failing and it needs a new king. And so, the text says next, um, they turned to his disciples and he said this, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. I don't know how he saw that with a bunch of helpless and harassed people, but Jesus has a very different kingdom perspective to you and me. He sees differently. We get a hint of it with Elisha. Elisha sees differently when he's being hunted down and he's got his assistant with him and the assistant runs up to him and goes, we're going to die. And Elisha lays hands on his shoulder and says, see, see as the king sees. And he sees this heavenly host. And he says, those that are with us are greater and more than those against us. There is in every situation we're in a whole new kingdom perspective if we will but be with Jesus. That's the first call, be with him. When you be with him, you begin to see things differently. It's funny, um, I used to think, and kids in school think this so much, prayer, being with Jesus, is trying to convince this cantankerous, sort of corrupt being to do what they want, as if he doesn't know. You know, it's like uh, letting the genie out the lamp. If I pray, the genie will go and do it. Or it's letting a dog go and do something for you. You know, you let the dog out and it runs and does your bidding. That's the common view of prayer I meet in school, and maybe for some Christians as well. 
We don't need to convince a cantankerous God to do what we want. As Helen's already said, he is our dad in heaven. And actually, when we pray, he already has good things lined up for us. He, some, for some reason, wants us to join in in asking for it. Often prayer, I found for me, doesn't move God. It moves us and it changes our expectations. It changes our perspective of helpless and harassed people into a harvest field. And so I wonder when we pray, actually, what we would see in the situations we're in. Prayer moves us. It moves us to pray bigger, better. It moves us to action. In the disciples' case, it sends them out into the harvest field because they begin to see as Jesus sees, rather than helpless for us people where the kingship that they're under has failed, they begin to see a king about to break out. They begin to see King Jesus, the risen Jesus, taking hold of now, taking hold of the future, and bringing it about in the place where we pray. I, I do this illustration in, um, for schools about the kingdom of God, where um, it quite, works quite well in here, actually. But if you, you work for a marketplace on a rainy day, and all the tarpaulins, like your, they're not tarpaulins, but you know, your drapes are just full of water, and they are pregnant with water, okay? And um, you walk past the, the, the shopkeeper with his stick that is just about to empty it, and you just know by the look in his eye that all heaven is going to break out. <laughs> when he hits it with his stick. What if that is an image of a Christian that is kingdom-minded? What if heaven is pregnant to break out? What if we could see the kingdom of God wanting to move in our worlds, in our situations? And we are like a market keeper with a stick. And we just need to ask God, kingdom, come, I'm here. Mordecai said it, didn't it? Mordecai said um, uh, to Esther, he, he said, um, God is going to move, but what if you're in place for such a time as this? God is going to do it. God is going to do what he's going to do in our worlds, in our kingdoms. But why not join in? He's going to do it anyway. But why joy to join in? So... Um, I sort of uh, want to sort of conclude by going back to the instructions, really. The instructions, I think, are to be with Jesus, to preach the kingdom. And actually, um, I'd like to use the word participate. Preaching sort of means it more is about what Ant does. I don't know if you think that. I think preaching often is about communicating. And I think for us, actually participating, often preaching, we preach for what we do as well. And so um, I hope I'm not in trouble for that with you, Lord. But um, uh, participating in the kingdom. If we would be with Jesus, we will get his eyes to see the harvest is plentiful rather than helpless and harassed people. We participate. What are you about to do, Jesus? and then oppose evil in every form. For me, I think that's what we're trying to do in school. But I think it works wherever we are, in whatever situation, whatever our little kingdoms are. It's funny, to finish off, Jesus doesn't do this once. With the 72, he does it again. 
And when he sends out the 72, when they come back and they tell him the stories of what was happening, he said this, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Just, I want to see that. In our towns, in my schools, I want to see his rule and reign crushed. And I think we need to be with Jesus, participate in the kingdom, and oppose evil. Can I pray and then finish? Um, King Jesus, thank you that you call us to repent of doing life our own way. Thank you that it's not just a moral improvement plan. Thank you that it's is just about being under your kingship. And thank you that we can breathe a sigh of relief of doing it on our own and lean into you. Would you give us the faith to trust you? And as we spend time with you, would you give us a new perspective on what you're doing in our world? Would you allow us to see your kingdom in the places where we have influence? Allow us to grow your sphere of influence. Amen.